Clock. Let's talk to Anne Menendez, Director of UK in a Changing Europe. Anne, very good morning to you. Morning, how are you doing? Oh, very well indeed. I feel as though, um, and you may correct me if I'm wrong, that this is kind of reaching the final furlong of this rather long marathon that we've been engaged in for the last three years, and that finally we've got somebody who is determined to make it happen, and by hook or by crook, it is going to happen. Well, yes and no. I mean, obviously, the <laughs> Prime Minister wants us to leave and wants us to leave by the 31st of October, and he tables some proposals, and there is uh, a lot of interesting stuff in those proposals, but bear in mind, by law, if Parliament doesn't accept a deal, then we have to ask, ask for an extension, so the saga will just churn on and on and on. Well, it may, but, I mean, we could get to that point, and an extension could be asked for, even though the Prime Minister said he doesn't want to do that, and then it could be denied. It could be denied. I'm, personally, I mean, I'm, I do not think the European Union will say no if we ask. But, of course, the alternative scenario is we end up with a deal based on the Prime Minister's proposals and, and Parliament accepts it. I think, at the moment, I think both are quite unlikely, but things are changing fast. Well, they are. And, I mean, looking at the deal that is before us, and I haven't read the entire document, I'm trusting people like you to have done that, Anne, and I've obviously read the summaries <laughs> of it. Um, the DUP seem to think that it's OK, as far as the Irish backstop is concerned. Um, the ERG group uh, have basically called it fantastic. And so the numbers game changes slightly when that happens, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. There seems little doubt that the numbers are changing. I don't... The DUP has expressed... have given a cautious welcome to this. Remains to be seen whether the DUP remain united in voting on this. And it remains to be seen how many of the ERG the Prime Minister uh, will lose and how many Labour MPs, therefore, he's dependent on. Remember, all of this is happening in the context where everyone thinks there's going to be an election. So one of the considerations for Labour MPs is not just going to be what do you think of the Brexit deal... Mm. But also, do you want to give a win to Boris Johnson immediately before an election that will boost his chances of winning that election? Yeah, well, it would boost his chances of winning that election, but for the 25 Labour MPs who are in leave voting seats, who want to keep those seats in the upcoming election, maybe they vote the way uh, that they think is the most sensible thing to do, and that would be to vote leave. Possibly, yeah. I mean, th there is an element of truth to that, definitely. But it's worth bearing in mind that even if you're a Labour MP in a leave voting seat, it doesn't mean that the majority of Labour voters are leave voters. No, it doesn't, so, but it means that you could win that seat if you voted to leave, as indeed uh, the people of that particular constituency had instructed you to do. It certainly is a calculation that each Labour MP is going to have to make yeah. based on the nature of the vote they had. Yeah, I mean, it will be an issue for them. I mean, we've heard that with the MPs from Stoke, for instance, saying that they wish they'd voted for Theresa May's deal. There's yeah. definitely a pressure on some Labour MPs, no doubt about that. And what we do know as well from some of these MPs is that not only do they wish they had voted for her deal, but many of them would, would have voted for it if they thought by rebelling they would get it over the line. And many of them said that they didn't vote for it because they just didn't think the numbers were there. But had they known the numbers to be sure they would have joined in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it is, you know, for all the fact that Brexit is a new division in our politics, those tribal political loyalties still exist. And mm. it's very, very hard for Labour MPs to vote for Tory proposals. Uh, the difference now, I suppose, is that people are getting fed up. There's a lot of evidence that people want this Brexit thing out over and done with. Whether that proves to be enough to get them to vote for this deal, I don't know, because, of course, what the Ben bill does is it means you're not facing a straight choice between this deal and no deal. You're facing a choice between this deal and an extension. Yeah, and we've seen uh, Giva Hofstadt talking overnight about how uh, he says the original, sort of the, the immediate reaction to the plan is not particularly positive. We're waiting for them uh, to give us the sort of full response later on this morning, maybe later on this afternoon. Um, but what's your uh, vision of what's being said in Brussels? What are you hearing? 
Well, th- th- there's, there are two issues. There's a, there's a question of substance, there's a question of style. There's very little doubt, I don't think, that there will be concern in Brussels about two or three aspects of what's being proposed. Firstly, the Prime Minister's proposals do imply the need for customs checks at or very close to the intra-Irish border, which is something that both sides have said they wanted to avoid. And that will cause concern in the Republic of Ireland. The second thing is, because this scheme is specifically time-limited, i.e. the Northern Ireland institutions get to vote on its continuance every four years, it's not what the European Union consider a backstop, because for them a backstop can't be time-limited. But, given those reservations, I think the European Union also know that they can't afford simply to turn around and say no. Because that, in a sense, will be grist to the mill of Boris Johnson in saying, look, I tried, they were unreasonable, we need an election, give me a majority. So I wonder whether they aren't going to be more diplomatic than that and say, okay, this is the basis for negotiation, let's see where we get to. And the two sides disappear into what they call the tunnel and try and bring their positions closer. I mean, is there an argument to be made that this has been cooked up by Boris and Dominic Cummings and the disruptor squad uh, to basically give a deal to Brussels that they know Brussels won't accept? Um, I'm not sure I'd be that cynical. Uh, you really? It's like a serious attempt. I mean, look, I can't deny for a moment there's an awful lot of politics around here and it might well suit the Prime Minister to be able to say, I tried, the EU said no, a Remainer Parliament kept me in give me a majority and I will sort Brexit out. I mean, that strikes me as a plausible electoral strategy. But I think there is enough in here, particularly on allowing Northern Ireland to stay under EU regulations, to suggest that there is a genuine effort to try and compromise. Whether it's enough is a whole different question, but I'm not sure I'd be quite as cynical as you seem to be then. Yeah, but the thing is, the cynical uh, aspect of my attitude is based not just on me being a cynic, it's based on the way that they have operated since day one. Because the way that this whole campaign has been orchestrated, it seems to me, uh, is to make it look as if it's an absolute and utter disaster, that they're staggering from one failing to another, from one you know, defeat in the Commons to another defeat in the Commons, to the point where they haven't actually won a vote at all. And yet, their demeanour has been everything but that of, of people who are losing. No, that's absolutely true, and I do think that there is a blame narrative being created by Number 10, whereby it's like you have a Prime Minister at long last who is properly committed to Brexit, he is being stopped from delivering on the will of the people by a combination of the Europeans and a Remainer Parliament. And I think you'll see a lot of talk about that in an election campaign, but I don't think that should make us think he's not acting in good faith by putting forward something he thinks he can get through Parliament. The question is whether the European Union think it goes far enough, and my gut feeling is no, they won't. Yeah, but in that case, Alan, you'd have to conclude, you could only conclude, that if this is not being orchestrated as a campaign which has been well thought out and well planned, that basically Boris Johnson is one of the worst leaders we've ever had, because he can't get anything right. Well, I think Boris Johnson... And I don't think that's true. Well, no, I think Boris Johnson is a leader who finds himself in a very, very difficult situation in a parliament where there's no majority for anything, doing a Brexit where the European Union has red lines that it hasn't to date proven willing to compromise about. It is a nightmare of a negotiation. His best outcome, it seems to me, will be to get this deal done over the line so he can go to the electorate and say, I am the prime minister that did Brexit. So I I don't doubt his seriousness on that. It is just very, very hard to accomplish because your room for manoeuvre to get a deal that satisfies both the European Union and the majority in Parliament. It's not even clear that such a deal exists, to be honest. Well, that's what I mean. So they've obviously worked that out. And I know that this is sounding more and more like my mad conspiracy theory, but I think because they've worked this all out, that there is no way of winning 
uh, on, on a sort of a, a normal basis on a kind of level playing field where you offer a genuinely heart, heartfelt deal that you really believe in. Uh, and then you just get turned down at every stage because the Europeans don't like it, uh, the Brits don't like it, Parliament doesn't like it, and you end up becoming a second Theresa May. I think they've worked out that actually... What you do is you you you, st you stunt it all up effectively. You stooge everybody into believing that you're coming up with a plan, but the plan is never really going to work anyway. So you know that that's not going to happen, and then you leave with no deal. Well, let me put it this way: I think my sense is that Number Ten genuinely hopes that what they've presented will form the basis of a negotiation that might lead for a, that might lead to a deal. But they are perfectly aware of the fact that that is unlikely, and so they're very prepared with a narrative that will get them through an election having said we tried and we failed and it wasn't our fault. So mm. I think they're hedging. I think they're definitely prepared for both eventualities and if they've got any sense they'll be slightly more prepared for the second because as I said I'm not convinced the European Union are going to sign off on the proposals as they are now. Yeah they've also got Westminster kind of uh, beaten into disbelief really because I've not heard any, any kind of idea coming out of, uh, of this so-called government for national unity. That sort of fell flat as a pancake on day one when they all sat around a table and couldn't work out who they wanted to put into Downing Street. Uh, when they managed to finish digging the tunnel in there, you know. And so they really seem to be fresh out of ideas, the, 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 those who don't want to leave the European Union. Well, one of the big advantages that uh, Boris Johnson enjoys at the moment is that the opposition parties are so profoundly divided and none of the other opposition parties trust Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. And that division gives him a degree of room for manoeuvre. Not very much, it has to be said, but it also might provide him with an opportunity in the election that he might be able to scrape through with a majority simply because the anti-Brexit vote is going to be split. Yeah, and also, don't you think that, that Boris has kind of taken back control of the agenda now as well? He's going to appear in Parliament this morning around about 11.30, we think. He's going to make a statement about this Brexit deal. Um, he will probably take the odd question from Jeremy Corbyn. I can't imagine, though, um, what Jeremy Corbyn's going to say. Well, I imagine what Jeremy Corbyn's going to say, and this is the bit we haven't really talked about, about the Prime Minister's mm. proposals, is that ultimately... Whilst Northern Ireland is the sticking point, the key about this deal is it is a way of creating a looser relationship with the European Union than the one that Theresa May wanted. Yeah. And what that will mean is that the economic implications will be more severe of this deal than they would have been of Theresa May's. And I suspect that that as well as Northern Ireland, is what Jeremy Corbyn will try and focus on. Yeah, he will. But, of course, he's already now locked in to kind of um, already saying he's a Remainer, he wants to remain in the European Union, he wants to have an election, uh, he wants to do a better deal with Europe and then campaign against it. I mean, he's all over the place, isn't he? Well, yeah, except what I would say is that Labour Remainers would turn around to you and say he's not a Remainer. In fact, our frustration with him is that he won't come out and say he's still staying in the European <laughs> Union. He's studiously that's what I mean. doing that. But that's what I mean. He is all over the place. I mean, the, the, the Labour Party policy uh, is to remain in the European Union now, isn't it? Well, the Labour Party policy is to offer a referendum on whatever deal Jeremy Corbyn can negotiate. And it is a complicated policy. There's yeah, no but it's to that. offer a referendum and then campaign to remain. It's to, well, it's to offer a referendum, and then Jeremy Corbyn hasn't said he'll campaign to remain. No, he I won't mean, personally, the but the Labour Party will. I think the majority of his MPs absolutely will, yes. But I think that you've got to bear in mind, they have a real... I mean, you know, Boris Johnson's got a problem with Parliament. Labour's got a problem with the seats it holds, because... Mm. Labour seats include the most pro-Remain and the most pro-Leaf seats in the country. So it is a genuine dilemma. And I think the calculation that Jeremy Corbyn and his team are making is we're going to sit very firmly on the fence as long as we can and hope that we can make this election about something other than Brexit, as they did pretty well in 2017. Yeah, but that was different, wasn't it? Because 2017, everybody assumed that the government was going to make Brexit happen, and it hasn't. 
So now we've got oh. we've only got one government uh, and one party uh, and one prime minister who's saying that that's what's going to happen. It was different indeed, but still, I wouldn't necessarily bet my mortgage on the fact that the Labour won't be able to pull off the same trick again. It might be harder, but there are a lot of people around the country who are basically fed up about talking about Brexit, want to talk about the economy, want to talk about other stuff. And actually, bear in mind, the subtext of the Conservative Party conference in Manchester was investment in all these other services as well. And Labour will be hoping if we could get that debate onto that terrain, away from Brexit, we're in with a fighting chance. Yeah, I think people are actually more likely to want to talk about Brexit now because they're so fed up that they want it done. And so people I talk to and the people that ring this show and the people who tweet me and people that I meet in the street, these are all people now who say, look, we need before we can even talk about the hospitals and the schools and whatever else, uh, you know, uh, defence policy, we want to see Brexit done. And many of these people have actually voted to remain. Yeah, but bear in mind that many Remainers who say they want Brexit over and done with mean that they want to remain. No, they don't. No, that's not true. I mean, you live in your little Westminster bubble land and you believe what you want to believe. And you talk to a lot of people who voted to remain because that's what academics do. Well, right. But listen, listen, I talk to the real people, mate. Well, listen, I mean, if you, I mean, you can take them with a pinch of salt if you like, but there are all sorts of polling companies doing polling on uh, what people think about leaving the European Union. The really interesting thing is if you look at the aggregate of those polls, very, very few people indeed have changed their minds from 2016. Uh, if there's been a shift in the polls, and there has been a slight shift toward Remain since June 2016, that is almost entirely made up of people who either didn't vote or couldn't vote in 2016. So I, I would just... So you're going with the dead narrative now? Well, I oh, know I would just treat with a... No, 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 I would just treat with a bit of caution the idea that on either side, relievers or Remainers, there are loads of people who are changing their minds because I just don't see the evidence of No, that. there isn't. And I think that's absolutely fascinating because there was a time when everyone was telling me, including Steve Doughty, the MP from Cardiff, that thousands of people have been emailing him telling him they voted to leave and now they want to stay. That's all now changed. That narrative is no longer spoken about because it's not true. And it never was true. Now they're sort of clinging to the fact that, oh, well, it's still going to be very close because hardly anything's changed. No, no, I agree. But that was why I was casting a bit of doubt on the claim that there are now loads of Remainers who want to leave. There are, I think, Remainers... Well, they don't want to leave. They're just happier to, if, if we leave because then we can move on. Yeah, well, I think there is an awful lot of Brexit boredom about. That is absolutely true. But people would like us to be talking about something else and would like us just to get it done. Exactly right. And what about the rest of the uh, the agreement that is so far uh, the one which is now before Brussels? Because a lot of people have complained about the fact that there are lots of other things apart from the backstop which people would not like to stay in that agreement. For example, the stuff about the military, the stuff about close, ever closer ties. I mean, has that all gone? Well, we won't be covered by the EU treaties anymore once we leave. So yes, essentially all those political bits of European integration will no longer apply to us. This is a debate simply about how much the economic rules apply to us and whether the economic rules apply differentially in Northern Ireland to the rest of the United Kingdom. Our security relationship with the European Union is something that's going to have to take is going to have to be negotiated in the next phase. Once we've left, we start talking about our future relationship. Yeah, exactly right. So the, the debate goes on and the conversation goes on. So it ain't going anywhere anytime soon. Anand, thank you very much indeed. Anand Menon, Director of UK in a Changing Europe. Are you with Anand uh, that you're just sick to death of Brexit? You'd like to talk about something else? I don't think you are. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. We'll take your calls next.